Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. And welcome to the Forza Italian Football Podcast. You're lumbered with me, with me for the final final round because Connor's been hit by electrical issues. <laughs> um, but with me, I've got Vita to talk through the final day. How are you, Vita? Yeah, I'm good. Ewan, yeah, it's interesting to see you in the host's chair once again. <laughs> for such a big day as well. Um, and I've got Kev with me as well. How are you, Kev? I'm good. Getting over my own final day uh, excitement, <laughs> sadly. But never mind. <laughs> yeah, we shan't talk about that as much as... Actually, no, I don't want to. Um, yeah, so we've come to you a day later, obviously, because we decided to not go on Sunday evening after such a full-on day that involved stuff outside of um, Serie A as well. Um, obviously, that's not fully worked out because of what's happened with Connor, but we, we can't have foreseen that. Um, but your headline, obviously, is Milan are champions after a series, a series, a season where we've been talking about the title so much and it's gone back and forth so many times. They have ended up on top. I'll run you through the weekend's results. They were sort of in a slightly odd order, like me and Connor talked about on the preview, but they were quite nicely grouped by what was happening by uh, Serie So on Friday... We had Torino nil, Roma three, which was a largely dud game. There was a bit riding on that for Roma, but they did what they needed. And then it was pretty much the European battle on Saturday. So you had Lazio three, Ellis Verona three, Fiorentina two, Juventus nil, Atalanta nil, Empoli one, which was that was a decisive game. Genoa nil, Bologna one. For anyone who cares, and then we had the relegation battle on. Actually, no, they've got them in a weird order here. We had the title battle first in the, uh, what would it be, six o'clock kickoffs in Italy. So that was Sassuolo nil, AC Milan three, and Inter three, Sampdoria nil. Um, we also had Spezia Napoli earlier in that day. And then the relegation was wrapped up in the evening with Salentana nil, Udinese four, and Venezia nil, Cagliari nil. Um, as always, patreon.com forward slash Fox Italian football for more summer based things. There'll be, well, don't know what there'll be because we're not fully decided yet, but um, the caveat for this podcast is that we're going to police ourselves because we're just talking about this round of fixtures. We're not getting too big picture because there is going to be a proper longer season review pod with, I'd imagine all of us. (laughs) And, um, where we'll sort of unpack a lot more things a bit more. Kev, you want to talk already? Yeah, so, um, well, yeah, because hopefully I might not even be here for the uh, end of season if it's done while I'm in Paris. But um, Of course, yeah. Know, not, to, not, to gloat, not to gloat with that one. Um, <laughs> but obviously you touched, on, you, you, you touched on the fixtures and their ordering, so I just wanted to 
jump in with that because I've, I've kind of used most of today to sort of look, watch watch all the footage back you know they do some quite nice 45 minute sort of clips of, uh, of all the games that I've managed to I've managed to get through I'm torn between whether I like the format of doing it you know I can understand why they sort of section them off together and I'm sure it maybe drives a little bit of better advertising uh, revenue for for Serie A but it, it was the, when I was watching the very last lot of games, which was something of an anti-climax, even though Salernitana lost 4-0. But I think the anti-climax came from the, the drab 0-0 draw that was played out by Venezia and, um, and Cagliari. But what really did it for me was seeing Milan's total celebrations before those games. And I think if they're going to continue to do this sort of section off the games that have got conflicting results that will impact each other. They should probably just outright finish with the title, uh, the title um, race at the end. If there yeah. really, obviously still is one. Yeah, we, we talked about that on the Ruby pun. We, we basically agreed that the, the sectioning makes sense because if you're not going to have all the games played at the same time, then you know the ones that are relevant to each other. You want them to be happening at the same time. That's logical. It's more dramatic. But it was the order of them, like you say, that was a little bit odd. It felt weird having the the relegation fight, which while it was huge and very interesting, it, you know, the title is the main event. There's no two ways around that. If in a more general sense, um, and yeah, it did feel like the the Milan game was like the definitive point of the day, and the relegation was a bit more of a an afterthought. But it's Milan, we're, of course, going to start with first title since 2011. Um, and so they finish on 86 points. So two ahead of Inter, who did win on the day, did what they needed, but it wasn't enough. Um, in terms of the specifics within the Milan game, I mean, the main thing just to talk about is that, as has been widely said, and I certainly agree, the first half of this game, in which they scored all their goals, that was... I'll come to you, Vita. Was was that the best they've played this season? Oh, it looked so not just comprehensive, but the way they were just toying with Sassuolo. Essentially, they just um, did things with such confidence and panache. And Sassuolo also a team that they can rattle the big boys a bit. I suppose that the Nero Verdi didn't have much to play for, but. Uh, I think even g- given the circumstances, the Rossoneri just looked a class above. And uh, uh, Leao in particular looked like he was uh, in a world of his own, but in a good way. He just made things look so effortless and uh, he ended up tra- using those uh, Nero Verdi players as training cones. It just uh, was sublime from his part. But uh, I think all around, especially from the defence upwards, if you look further up the pitch, just uh, those plays there were really on top form. I think I think the um, I think the fans in the stadium made a sort of significant impact. You know, the the atmosphere being what it what it was with the opposition that they had. You know, if you think if they'd gone to a a Sampdoria or a Genoa, where you would have still had two thirds of the the stadium, you know, even with even with teams that haven't got anything to play for, I think you would get more of a 
vociferous atmosphere and they kind of played to their hands that that was a little bit disappointing from my point of view because you know Sassuolo historically have been a place where Milan have gone and struggled but they've never taken that level of support and it, and it, it kind of made it feel like a like a home game which which as soon as they came out the traps as quickly as they did and then they had that sort of support of sort of almost three sides of the stadium it felt very very much like the title was was inevitable for them but that was that was something I think that you can't play down the significance of them being able to take all of those fans down there. Yeah, well, it's it's arguably I'm trying to think of somewhere someone they could have been playing that would have been even better for them in that sense because so as well as as much as we enjoy them and have we have wonderful players and there's no getting away from the fact that it is it's a tiny place and they don't even play in the place that they're from. Um, it's a very small stadium. Um, it's not a club with a fan base spread around the country or anything like that. Um, so, I mean, the, we said on the preview, when I was writing something in the run-up to the game, to, to get the figure, I quickly joined the ticket queue on Viva Ticket or whatever, and it was at um, 94,000, the queue. And I think it got slightly higher than that. And I think it peaked at like just under 100,000. That's when people were trying to get tickets. And obviously some of that is just all the fans trying to go and see their team. But it is that's nearly all Milan fans. And they had like 80, 85% of the ground. And it really felt like it. I mean, in terms of the that first half, it just felt like the ball was just being sucked into that goal. Like not only did they score three times, but... They just should have scored so many more. Like it, it, it's something that you often say, but it genuinely could have been like five, six nil in that first half. Like, you know, that's what I had nothing. Um, they just looked completely. I don't think it was even a case of Sassuolo being sort of uninterested, had nothing to play for, whatever. I don't think that's what was happening. I think they were just being well beaten. But Vito, you mentioned Rafael Leal. He he assisted all three goals. <laughs> in a very similar manner for each one as well. I mean, that just caps off an incredible season for him, doesn't it? Mm, certainly. I think this is the season that he really went up a level and the trust in him went up significantly as well. I think having that continuity, instead of having to worry about someone like Ante Rebic taking a spot, I think has been beneficial. He's really grown into his own, playing on that left wing. And uh, especially in the last few rounds, I think he's really been crucial and decisive. To have him play his role and really stand up in the last few rounds in particular, that's the kind of thing that you need when you're pushing for a league title. And uh, he's definitely been uh, one of these stars, if not the star of this uh, Milan side. We talk about the assists. Uh, it's similar to what, you know, just like I was saying just before, he had this nonchalance about him that he just made things look effortless. So it wasn't just his pace, but his ball control and uh, his way of just picking out a teammate. He just made it look so easy. And his teammates also knew where to run as well. And the interesting thing about this, though, is he probably could have had one more assist if Davide Calabria didn't balloon his shot uh, uh, in the second half. So he could have had even more gloss to what he already done. And even what he produced just in the first half was 
simply sublime. Yeah, it's almost amazing that he himself didn't manage to score. It, it was it was Olivier Giroud that he set up for. The two, first two goals were carbon copies. Um, some very sloppy defending. I think it was the second one. The ball just got given away really easily down near the byline, and he just danced past, belly it back, and Giroud swept it in. Um, but then he, he found himself on the on the right hand side for the third goal, and it was Franck Kessie that scored. It was a very nice finish, and. Obviously, that's going to be his last moment for Milan. But Kev, do you think the way that you know the the way that he played against Atalanta and his sort of rapport with the crowd that we talked about in that game, and then this goal and the fact that all the idea of booing him and stuff seems to have gone away—is is he ending in a bit more of an amicable way with the Milan fans that we might have expected? He's he probably he's probably ending on slightly better terms with with a few fans than he probably expected, um, given the boos that came before. I think there's an element of that we're in the, the last couple of weeks of the season. Um, it, it's almost like a, you know a separated couple that turn up at their child's wedding and they they'll put they'll put a brave face on. Um, one has to do the job of sort of walking their daughter down the aisle or whatever, while the uh, the ex-wife is sort of happily sort of looking on and smiling and doing all the pleasantries. And it, it feels a little bit like that for, for this. It's, it, it doesn't need to overshadow the, the total celebrations, um, depending on where he goes next year or if it's a, a side that's competing either domestically or in Europe with um, Milan. Uh, I'm sure all of that bad feeling will come back again. I think it's more uh, circumstance that uh, they put a, put a friendly face on the, on the relationship between the pair. In terms of the celebrations for Milan, it's it's looked absolutely incredible. If you have a look at our various socials and stuff, um, I think Connor's been sharing a few various things of what's been going on in, in Milan and elsewhere. It all looks like a lot of fun. I think there's been something big going on this evening as well. Um, but the team that they have pipped to the title is, of course, Inter. They beat Vito's team. Sampdoria 3-0, um, a game that obviously was irrelevant for Samp, having expertly secured their survival earlier, a week or so ago, whenever that was. <laughs> Feels like a long time ago now. Um, in terms of, you know, the, the, the game itself doesn't really warrant a great deal of talking about. Obviously, we'll, we'll dissect into season properly um, at a later time, which there's a lot to talk about. But Joaquin Correa scored twice, which he'd only managed four goals um, so far for Inter until um, until the weekend. Incidentally, now I'm thinking off the top of my head, the previous four goals, they both came in batches of two, didn't they? Against Udinese and then Alas Verona. So he exclusively scores two at a time, which probably isn't very, hasn't been very useful for them. Um, but Vito, do you think he's going to have more of an impact next season? Because there's no suggestion that he's going anywhere. I mean, if somebody bids for him, but I can't imagine anyone's going to bid more than what Inter paid in the summer, which was around £30 million, I believe. Do you think he's going to be a bigger player next season? I'll be honest and say I'm not totally convinced as yet. He had some issues this season, but uh, I don't think it's a matter of him having continuity or just being in the squad regularly that's going to make him improve. I think it's more about mentality and mindset. 
when he is on, it shows that you know he can uh, change a game and he can be a decisive player. But I think that uh, that he needs to be able to have a better approach to games mentally and have greater desire in himself if he wants to keep playing for a club like Inter. I agree that he's not going to be going anywhere this season. I'm not convinced that someone else would want to buy him at this stage. But uh, I think regardless if Inzaghi starts him or if he comes off the bench, he's got to make the most of the playing time that he has and not just uh, walk around and think that this is a stroll in the park. He's actually got to become more involved in games. So I think for Nerazzurri fans, they're probably thinking it's a great shame that he doesn't do the stuff like he did against Sampdoria because uh, there were some nice goals as well. And even in some of the build-up play, he was involved in some of his uh, passing and also the one-twos in particular that he would make with his teammates. He shows that, you know, he's a great player to watch and he can liven things up. But... uh, we haven't seen that often enough from him this season. That's the thing, isn't it? What he's he's so he can be a very very pretty player to watch and enjoyable to watch at times, but it's just not translated into anything concrete apart from those six goals. And like I say, they've sort of been halved in their impact, if you like, in in the way they've come. Um, but a player who you could almost argue is the opposite. He's just all impact is Ivan Perisic and he got into his first goal um, it's quite a nice finish it did take a deflection but I thought that the way he went about it was nice <laughs> so he's now got 10 goals and 10 assists in all competitions which at 33 playing in a pretty high octane team that is deeply impressive and like if there's anyone who does not play like they're supposedly towards the end of their career it's him he, he just looks like he's 25 um, but obviously he may well be going. There were suggestions this evening that Inter have started to up their offer closer to what it is that he wants. He supposedly wants around €6 million Euro a season, whereas they were thinking more four and a half. Kev, do you, do you think he's done enough this season that they just have to give him what he wants? Or with the whole financial situation, do they need to decide, do you know what, we can't be held to ransom? I think regardless of his impact, um, because it, you know it, it could have easily been him that was deciding the total, the way he sort of chipped in with vital goals in the last few weeks. But at thirty-three, I don't think you can you can suddenly go let's let's tear up whatever their wage structure is based on based on based on those performances for a thirty-three-year-old. Um, you know because that's 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 where football's you know keeps getting itself into these these messes. Um, you know, and the inflationary aspects of people like Mbappe getting paid forty million a season by PSG means everybody else thinks that they can go and try and drive a harder bargain at the clubs that they're at. Now, I'm not saying that PSG are going to pick Perisic up. Although I could see him doing a job there if uh, they wanted somebody for the last couple of years, and they probably match his wages very easily. But I, I think I think Inter need to be more strategic than that. You know they 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 have got an aging squad, and when we're we're talking about the younger players like Correa not potentially making the impact this season and possibly struggling again next year, and then trying to do that and and you know recapture the total with people like Jeco and Sanchez that are 
the wrong side of 30. I don't think they can start making allowances for, for Perisic because they can they can probably find better value elsewhere that would refresh the squad age-wise. I'm actually just going to hit you with the exact same question, Vita. Where do you stand on Perisic? Uh, look, I think it's uh, come to the point that uh, Inter should really just consider giving him what he wants and uh, also think about, you know, that he still is playing great for someone his age. I mean, to be 33 years old and to play with the kind of energy that he has and also be as decisive as he has been this season and even the season before that, I think he's the kind of guy that, you know, that they would want to hold on to because you need players who know how to step up in big games or pop up in decisive moments. But also, I think it'd be a nice thing just to have him finish at the one club. Uh, I remember early on in his time at Inter, he had consistency issues, but uh, the way he's played in the last two seasons, especially in the one that's just finished, I think he's uh, producing quality performances that Inter have needed. And uh, uh, I don't see any harm in... You know, him getting what he wants. Inter at this point that uh, they can't buy too many players, so they need to hold on to the good ones. And anyone who's not making enough of an impact, you know, whether it's an Arturo Vidal and Matias Vecino and a couple others, those are the top players you get rid of. But uh, I think uh, enticing Perisic can only be a good thing. Of course, they're the financial constraints, but I think... Yeah, that's one thing that Beppe Marotta has to assess. But I think for Inzaghi, I'm sure he would love Perisic to stay on. I wish you were my boss, Vito. I could just come to you and ask for whatever I wanted. And provided my performance is still fine, I'm getting I'm getting a nice fat pay rise. <laughs> well, I, was, I was about to say thank you for bringing the opposite view to Kev there. I was, I was going to say, do either of you want to call the other an idiot or anything or have a fight? Yeah, you're uh, feeling no, amicable. No. We, 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 we'd, <laughs> never go, we'd never go that far. We'd never go that far. <laughs> All right, well, we'll move on to the other end of the table then because um, it was it was a bit weird, <laughs> this relegation of the evening. So the, your permutations were basically that if Salernitana won, they, um, they'd be safe. They'd have done it if they, I believe it was drew or lost, and Cagliari won at Venezia then it would be Cagliari that stay up. Salernitana, um, for how good they've been over the past few weeks, they've not lost in their last eight. They quite emphatically reverted back to type. Um, they were beaten 4-0. Um, it got to, I believe, 2-0, possibly 3 relatively quickly, if memory serves. Um, and it became obvious that they were going to need a favour. They weren't going to claw it back. Udinese were looking very good. Um, Kev, did they kind of get away with this a bit? Oh, they they massively got away with one. <laughs> you know, it could have been four before half time. The the, the um, obviously they saved the penalty as well, and it's it. This would absolutely destroy me if I was a Cagliari fan, because you have been handed a survival lifeline 
by Salernitana not showing up at all. You know, Udinese even shucked um, Daniele Padelli in goal and they couldn't score, you know, they couldn't even sort of threaten his goal. You know, they were that bad in attack as they were in defence, you know. A comedy of errors for, for some of the goals that, that Udinese scored, just sort of little mistakes of just handing the ball back to them all the time. And they they massively got away with one. And in a, in a way, when I saw them fall down, I thought, this is kind of them reverting to how they how bad they were at the start of the season. You know, I didn't give them a hope when they were when they were bottom of the league at, at one stage, despite you sort of being really impressed with their fans when I watched them um, live against Milan in December. But uh, yeah, they 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 must be counting their blessings. It's kind of you to say at one stage for them. <laughs> I think they they were there from the first game until I think it was about three games before the end or something stupid it, it's it is you know That's while we're gonna weeks. there you go well while we're gonna end up sort of criticizing a bit for the on the day performance it is amazing um but Vito in this game did they do, do you think it was a case of just running out of steam with this form they've been on or you know was this an occasion thing did they just it was a bit all of it too much oh look oh you could say it's a bit of both, but if I had to pick one over the other, I just think they ran out of steam. I think given the runoff form they had prior to this game, I think they really played above themselves and punched above their weight. But uh, also, I think you could also say that uh, some things didn't really go their way or seemed a bit unusual. And the reason I say that is because Daniele Padelli had one of the best games of his career, if not the best, because uh, I still remember when he was at Torino and on this pod he got criticised a fair bit back then. So to think that, uh, you know, he's second choice to Marco Silvestri at Udinese and he produced the performance that he did, um, yeah, it's a bit surprising that way. Sometimes football's funny in that kind of regard, but... uh, yeah, fortunately for Salernitana, um, things went their way in the other games. So despite losing 4-0, it was still party time. <laughs> it was party time. They seemed to... Well, it, it became party time well before the end of Salernitana's game. Their fans weren't as, as wonderful as they have been all season. They weren't hugely helpful during the game because a lot of stuff was thrown onto the pitch. There was quite a big delay at one point. Um and the game sort of restarted in a cloud of fog, um, and it just all—it all felt a bit weird. But then you got these huge celebrations a few minutes before the end, when it became clear that um, Calgary had not done what they needed to do at Venezia. But Kev, can they be a bit sort of? I don't, I be careful I word this, but they've effectively been the victims of what is a seriously historical comeback. From Salernitana, like in, I feel like in a normal situation, they would have stayed up. Uh, yeah, I, I suppose so. I, I think after last season as well, their their performances have been so bad. <laughs> Apart from João Pedro, um, but even when you watch that game this weekend, I know they're away from home, but. There never seemed to be a moment where they actually believed they were going to do it. I think if they if they showed a little bit more belief 
then they would have completely capitalised on the fact that Salernitana had imploded at home. And and that's that's got to be something down maybe to the to the players that are there, the lack of that lack of belief. And while it's a an amazing comeback for Salernitana, I think Cagliari still have to accept a large proportion of the blame. Uh, in my view, I thought the only player that really looks like posing a real danger for Cagliari was uh, Raul Bellanova. Uh, I've said on this pod and on Twitter that he's probably one of the very few Kairi players that I've been impressed with this season. He's just got a great work ethic. He's very direct. He's got fantastic pace. So I hope he, he can stay in Serie A next season. But uh, uh, in the game against the Venezia, he looked like he was the only one that really looked the more dangerous out of the lot, you know, putting in crosses it was this one cross shot. I think it was more more of a cross that turned into a shot. But maybe if he had watched a bit more Lorenzo Insigne, he probably would have got the technique right and scored a goal himself. But uh, in addition to that, I think uh, the Venezia goalkeeper, Niki Maempa, after his shambolic performance against Sampdoria weeks ago, he's improved and I think with uh, Vanetti not having much to play for he's probably looking more relaxed and in the last few weeks he's played very well and in this particular game uh, he did well against the Sardinians so he also proved to be a stumbling block for Coyote too Yeah I definitely think you're right about Bellanova because I, I was surprised that he didn't at some point score at the back post because he was getting into that area very threateningly, very regularly. Um, but they just didn't do enough. I want to briefly pop back to Udinese, actually, just more to, more to an icon and more than anything. Um, but I want to talk about a couple of their goals because they were really good. <laughs> they were really nice goals. I'm more thinking um, Destiny Odoji's goal, that shot into the top corner after a little bit of a run, was fantastic. And... Um, the third goal, I believe it was, possibly fourth, Roberto Pereira's, where he yes. ran a very long way. And just the, the nonchalance of it was... I, I really enjoyed that. Um, Vito, I'll let you wax lyrical about that goal, because I can tell you want to. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was more the Udoji goal I wanted to wax lyrical about. Uh, well, the Pereira like. one was a fun <laughs> goal too. But, uh, no, look, in general, Udoji... I think in the second half of this season, I think he's been fantastic. And especially since Gabriele Cioffi took over from Luca Gotti, I think he's really shown that he's a promising player and a great player for Italy's future because it sounds like he wants to represent Italy over Nigeria. But uh, if we talk specifically about this third goal, um, I think, look, he did have the space, yes, but I think nonetheless... He's a quick player, and he showed that you know that uh, he's also got some good ball control too. So um, he just took things on with confidence, and he showed that he's playing like a man in form to beat the players that he did. And uh, you know he cut in from the left, and then to score with the right foot, you know just to curl that was a fantastic strike. And yeah, just to briefly go back to that Coyote game, I mean when I look at Udoji strike. You know, that was probably the kind of strike uh, Bellanova should have been scoring for Coyote. But uh, was it to be? And uh, uh, Udoji, I think, yeah, he's another one of those uh, 
revelations from this season. Just a fantastic player. He also had the assist for the first goal, which Delefeu scored. And, uh, yeah, I'd be interested to see how he performs because, uh, you know, not just this game, but a few others, uh, he's really looked devastating on that left flank for the Neze. Yeah, he really has. He's had an absolutely brilliant season. Um, I just want to briefly talk about the Coppa Italia Firmino final, which was this weekend as well. Um, it went the way of Juve. Roma were um, the best team for a lot of the game, to be quite frank, and they were 1-0 up. And then, much like what many people have become accustomed to up until the last couple of seasons with Juve in the men's game, there is an inev- inevitability that this Juve women's team will do what they need to do. Um, and that's exactly what they did. They got a penalty, which completely changed the game. Roma went down to 10 players. And then in the 84th, um, Sanagama got the winner. Um, so they've won the treble this season, um, which is incredible. But Connor was at that game. Um, so we'll, me and him will do a season review of the of Serie A for Minale, and then we'll unpack that game a bit more as well because there was a lot of quality on show and what you they've done is absolutely incredible and I think we they, they deserve to be talked about a bit more. But back with the men's game, final little chunk for us is that European battle that we talked about. So the way it panned out, Lazio, were, they were pretty much sorted with fifth already. Um and then it was more a case of Roma, Fiorentina and Atalanta, who would be Europa League, Conference League, and nothing. And the nothing has ended up being Atalanta. They lost at home to Empoli. And Kev, it's it's that home form again. I mean, from their perspective, that it's, it's frightening that they just cannot perform at home. Yeah, they dropped so many so many points and it was sort of going behind all the time and and this week they just didn't have enough to even sort of grab a point that they've done in the last couple of weeks. You know, usually looking for just a little bit of a moment of magic from either Muriel or Pasilic to to rescue a point for them. But you know, it's disappointing for them. But it's it, it's been a strange season. They've had so many injuries. I know if Connor was here he'd certainly highlight the injuries that they've had. Um, you know, even even the goal they conceded on uh trying to remember what was, what day it was now, so it would have been Saturday. Um they were just sloppy. They let the ball run to still actually on the edge of the box and you know, it's a lovely finish in really. But they 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 didn't really get up for it if you think that they were at home with the chance to kind of just sort of steal something on the last weekend. It never really came off. Yeah, it was. I think flat is the word for the way that their season has ended. But Vito, given that you know they are a club that routinely sort of rebuilds their squad, not that it usually needs a huge amount of rebuilding, but they they plug gaps very very effectively. Um, are they the sort of team that are very well placed with not having European football to? juggle next season where they they could be a genuine force in the league again all of a sudden I think I think it will be beneficial for them because it will give them more time to recuperate uh, they have been known to playing 
a very high intensity style of football. Uh, it is based on lots of pressing, quick movement, and just attacking with lots of energy. So um, I think for a club with the resources Atalanta has, you know, not being as wealthy as few clubs above them, uh, I think that uh, the scheduling will be beneficial and uh, that will allow Gasparini and his players to just focus on Serie A. Not only that, they had some players leave in January and they brought in someone like Jeremy Boga in January and I haven't been overly impressed with him since he's arrived. But I think with a pre-season under Gasp, I think that uh, he might have a more defined role with that team. The rest of the squad can understand his movements a bit more. And uh, perhaps Boga can eventually recapture that form that made him a sensation when he was with the Nero Verdi. And then hopefully for their sake, uh, other players can be fitter throughout the course of the season. So I think, you know, uh, you know, you mentioned that Connor would have mentioned the injuries. No, sorry, Kev said that. But uh, I think the injuries were a big part, especially up front and not having a player like Duvan Zapata for a good chunk of the season, I think that made a difference because uh, although Atalanta do have a lot of contributors over the pitch, having uh, him there, he's just a prolific scorer, so I think uh, that makes a difference. So the loss to Empoli was a bit disappointing, but I think it was a, it pretty much summed up the season in a nutshell, really. Just that poor home record, at least for a club, that has achieved what they've done in the last few years. And, uh, you, know, you know, this season, I don't think they've really looked like themselves. So next season would be a great chance to see the Atalanta that we've been accustomed to for the last few years. And, of, and of course, uh, there's no no one else that uh, Connor would like them to have lost to. <laughs> with Empoli being <laughs> one of his favourite teams in the league. Yeah. So um, probably a good reason he's or not here. <laughs> I wonder, I wonder he's probably if he's more, dodged us for that very reason. I wonder if he's more angry about that or if, if it was Udinese. I wonder, I wonder which one would rile him more. <laughs> I think it might be the latter, you know. Maybe, maybe that's just a short-term thing. But Sorry, you go, Vita. I think he just hates... No, I reckon Connor would uh, loathe losing to Udinese more. However, I think it's more just Empoli have more or less checked out since the halfway point of the season and then of course lucky this game was in Bergamo because I think he would be more livid if the game was in Empoli and he'll just rant on about how bad the Castellani is (laughs) yeah absolutely Um, you mentioned um, Atalanta's result summing up their season I think you could probably apply that to Lazio drawing 3-0 with Elas Verona because Lazio ended as the second highest scorers um, in the league behind only Inter. Um, but in terms of conceding goals, the only team in the top 10 to have conceded more than them is Elas Verona, who conceded one more. Um, that was a mad game. And what I found really funny is that Jovan Cabral scored. who's on loan from Sporting. He came in in January because they wanted a bit more firepower, another option up front. He, nothing has... I, I forgot about him. Um, and then he's come and scored his first goal, first and only goal, and played quite well generally in the game. Um, 
on the final day. Am I wrong to find that funny, Kev? Well, I'm glad you said you'd forgotten about him because I didn't even realise, I hadn't even registered the, the move. And, uh, <laughs> or probably even realised he, he, he claimed any minutes for them. Um, I kind of... Because who's the who's the chap who effectively replaced Blavich, at least in sense of taking the number nine shirt? And it must uh, have been names are similar, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, and there you go. So I thought... Oh, I'm sorry, yeah, well, of course uh, what, what happened? <laughs> <laughs> like, What's name, yeah. here? You're like, getting your Cabral's mixed up. I know, and I, I, was, I was like, "What? what? I, was, I don't even, I don't, even, I couldn't even register that this person signed for Lazio." And I thought, "Oh, he's taking your goal out." Well. I thought, "But, but maybe Fiorentina dumped this other guy like really quickly." But um, <laughs> no, so every reason for you to find it funny that you've forgotten about him because I didn't even know he existed. <laughs> well, he's I actually pretty, got to agree with Kev. I was the same. Yeah, well, he, he was pretty highly rated, to my knowledge, which is limited. But um, as far as I was aware, he's pretty highly rated in at, um, sporting. But it obviously just hasn't worked. And I, I, I can pretty confidently say that they won't be keeping him. Um, but they'll go into the Europa League as the seeded team because they finished fifth. Um, Roma clinched sixth. Obviously, they've got a Conference League final to come on Wednesday. Um, but they beat Torino 3-0 away from home, which was a very quite an impressive way to end the season, really. You know, Torino are not an easy team to go and beat 3-0 at their own place. Um, but Tammy Abraham scored twice again, and he just keeps scoring. And Vito, do you think he's going to stick around and just keep doing this? Oh, I think he'll stick around. Um, perhaps someone in the Premier League, you know, might find him useful. But I think he's had just such a fine season, both in Serie A and in the Conference League. I'm sure that Roma and Jose Mourinho in particular would like to keep him there because after some minor issues just trying to fit into the team, at least from a tactical point of view, I think he's really led the line admirably. He's scored a few crucial goals. And, uh, you know, I think if he can score in the Conference League and they go on to win it, I think that would just add uh, further incentive to try and keep him at the club because um, he's really just fitted in and uh, really, you know, shown a sense of prolificacy that they really need. He's also made history that he's also become the um, Englishman to have scored the most goals in a campaign for an Englishman. Um, he scored 17. The record was 16, held by a striker called Jerry Hitchens in the 60s. So I think uh, that's, uh, you know, that's impressive. That's uh, Abraham in just his first campaign of Italian football to score the most goals for an Englishman in one season. I think that's something to be impressed about. And if he stays in Italian football, I think he's more than capable of breaking his own record. Yeah, I'll just he's been heavily linked with, with Arsenal and obviously being London-based before that with Chelsea. I just worry about maybe the financial strength of the Premier League. And and, and he'd, he'd be almost guaranteed to start there. I think that's probably what the only thing that would take him back to England at this stage because he, he seems to be enjoying life in, in, in Rome. So I kind of hope that that doesn't come off because 
he's you know, he showed how well he can he can do in Italy, and I think that that's that's great for him and also probably great for English footballers that don't necessarily travel so well when they go to when they go to Italy. But hopefully, because Mourinho is still there, and you know if they if they can win the conference, then he'll stick around for at least another season. But it's always the financial aspect that 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 tends to take people back to the Premier League or sort of wrestle players, even non-English uh, nationals, away from Syria to the Premier League. And the other aspect of that, I suppose, is that there's a a World Cup around the corner and would he have a little bit more chance of going as maybe England's second-choice uh, striker if he was actually playing in the Premier League for Arsenal for those few months before the, the Qatar World Cup kicks off. But, you know, let's keep our fingers crossed that he stays in Rome because I think he's been brilliant for the league. Yeah, I think it's it's certainly worryingly plausible <laughs> that that um that eventuality. The the team that benefited from Atalanta's result and pounced on it, even though it's happening at the same time, was um Fiorentina, who beat Juve um at the I've forgotten the name now, at the Frankie. Um and that's I mean that's always a massive result anyway. Um but to be honest, the fact it was Juve wasn't really the relevant part. The, the fact is that they're back in European competition and they're going to be in the Conference League, which I feel like I may have mentioned this at some point early in the season. That I feel like it's more beneficial for them to be in the Conference League rather than the Europa League. I think that could, I feel like they could have just possibly even lost in the groups or whatever. We'll have to see what happens in the summer. But I feel like the Conference League is, it, it just feels like the natural next step rather than skipping a step. What do you think, Luta? Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment because although Fiorentina, they've improved a lot under Vincenzo Italiano and they've got a, a philosophy that they're following in terms of their style of play and an idea of how they want to play football, I still think that if we talk about the quality of the players overall, um, I think there are still a few players that probably either need a bit more time adjusting or adapting to Italiano's tactics or they're not really the players that are going to um, take Fiorentina forward. I think of the centre-forward position and selling Vlahovic in January. I think they were happy to just take the money, but from a tactical point of view and in terms of lowering the quality of the squad, I think... That made a difference because neither Christoph Piontek or Artur Cabral made a particularly impressive impact. So I think they need either some improvement from one of those two or they need to find someone else who's going to provide that kind of consistency Vlahovic had for them in the first half of the season because uh, yeah, they showed that uh, you know they are quite a pleasing team to watch actually and the way Italiano has managed to get the best out of some of those players there I think yeah uh, I think he deserves a lot of plaudits for what he's done yeah certainly the um, the other two games the ones that really did mean nothing were Spezia nil, Napoli 3 I'm just going to open that out does anybody have anything to say about that game Stoppage time went for about ten minutes. Apparently, there was some trouble in the crowd. So, oh, right. <laughs> yeah, it was a, yeah, yeah. I so think that it was more exciting than the game. 
Yeah, oh, look, Napoli turned the game into a training session. And then after, well, I managed to watch the second half in full and it just looked like Napoli were happy to sit with the 3-0 lead and didn't worry about much else. Even if Spezia were allowed to have as much possession as they could, um, I don't think they had much luck trying to put the ball into the net. Uh, Raymond I for Spezia, he probably could have scored a couple goals, but um, yeah, uh, he just... Couldn't get the ball on target, or he'd just be denied one way or the other. So, yeah, that was about it. But nice goals from Napoli, especially the Politano solo goal. Yeah, and like I say, it was training session field given it was 3 0 at half time. Um, and Spezia had no incentive to, you know, kill themselves trying to get back into it. Um, I'm going to come back to you again, Vita, for the last game, actually, because I'll just let you have, give your assessment on Genoa's final defeat of the season. I mean, it should have been more than one nil, <laughs> and not only He's that, Bologna, Bologna, <laughs> oh, Bologna had a few kids too, so that was good. I mean, for instance, Mahalovic gave a chance to a sixteen-year-old called Wisdom May. He he played a game last season. He's got the record for being the youngest Serie debutante ever, beating Pietro Pellegrini when he was at Genoa. But uh, yeah. Um, yeah, that was a nice thing for Ame, the youngster. And uh, Barrow, I think he broke his goal-scoring drought, so that was good. But, yeah, I mean, any time general loses is good. And, again, another result that kind of is a reflection of this season's Genoa finally bowing out after years of just surviving relegation. And then uh, Bologna, after being a bit of a swashbuckling team or very leaky side early in the campaign... Um, they registered another low-scoring win. So, yeah, there you There's go. little stories, stories like that about the the uh, young players getting a debut or um, an appearance, and the final day is often, if if there's not something going on with your team, is often the best bit I find about the final day of the season. But given there was only those two games that actually had nothing riding on them at all, we actually didn't, and and it being Italy, we didn't see a huge amount of that. Okay. Yeah, well, Vito only chucked that in there because it beat Pellegrini's record that was at um, that was at Genoa. So he just wanted to get in that the Mihailovic sort of yeah, took a record away from Genoa, sort of last year. <laughs> and, uh, but um, <sighs> yeah, usually, usually those sorts of things are quite political. It's 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 a coach last game of the season reminding the uh, the president or owners or whoever's whoever's, whoever's putting their money in that. I've only got this 15-year-old left back now, you know, so give me some funds in the summer because this is sort of what, we're, what we've got left to play with. So I always find it interesting from that sort of aspect, whether it's um, coaches playing sort of party politics in their, in their clubs. Yeah, yeah, that is very true. Right, we'll leave it there because, like I say, we don't want to get too big picture or whatever because we will be back Um Possibly with care, possibly without, but certainly with the Conor and Vita to do a genuine season review where we can dig into things a bit more. Um, but from us for this, e- uh, this evening or the morning for Vita, that will be all. Reminder, patreon.com forward slash forward Italian football for various extra things throughout the summer. It'll be varying. We're going to come up with some new stuff, I imagine, to fill the gap. We've got a genuine football this summer, which... You know, it doesn't help for creating content, but it is quite nice. Um, but we will leave it there. 
Say goodbye, Vita. Goodbye. And goodbye, Kev. See you later, everybody. Bye, everyone.